Hello and welcome back to the Ripped Baseball Card Appraisal Podcast. Once again, this is the podcast we where we appraise all ripped baseball cards. Uh, yesterday we did a check on a rookie Hank Aaron card, and as always, the answer and the card was appraised at zero dollars. Uh, because once again, to any new listeners, according to the NFLDAS, all baseball cards that are fully ripped will be appraised at zero dollars. Um, and that that's really the answer to the entire podcast. Spoiler alert. Uh, but one, you know, nonetheless, I get sent ripped baseball cards almost every single day uh, from people asking me to appraise them. I have boxes and boxes and boxes of essentially scraps, sometimes only one side. And I have to go through and I have to appraise them. Uh, but once again, it's easy picking because it is zero. Uh, and if people are watching... I will keep doing the podcast. Uh, so, you know, I used to hate it. I used to think I was trapped in this life. Uh, but at this point, I've realized it's probably the only life in which I don't have to work a dead-end job. Uh, I guess now I'm sort of a dead-end boss of myself. And, you know, I wish death upon myself all days and at all times. But nonetheless, uh, beats working. Uh, <laughs> I really would like to see my kid again, and I will say that this podcast does not make me look great to the judge. Uh, actually, there's a legal term for it, but they call it a miscellaneous use of action and time. So pretty much, uh, it's, it's a fancy way of saying wasted time. Uh, and they brought up 17 counts of that in my life in the custody hearing to essentially make the case that I am a loser. Um, and the worst part of it was that uh, the custody hearing occurred the week that I started the Ripped Baseball Card Appraisal podcast. Uh, a lot of people would say, you know, Cooper, that's a fart, but it was quiet. A lot of people would say, Cooper, you know, why would you start that podcast at that time? Not only why, but, you know, how did you even really have the energy or want to. And, uh, you know, I guess the answer is simple, which is that uh, a warrior will always fight, a poet will always write, um, and somebody who wants to see their kids will continue to maybe make the wrong decisions at the wrong times. And that's where I'm at, uh, and that's what we're doing. But, uh, you know, really glad that everybody came back to listen. Uh, it is currently... Uh, Hamas's day of rage. Lots happened since the pod has been gone. Um, and, you know, I'm going to go right at it. I was reading the news. Uh, Mount Wilson Observatory used to be the home of some of the greatest minds. Hubble, who the Hubble telescope is named after, uh, among others. They made, they discovered the Andromeda Galaxy there. Uh, they figured out that we are not at the center of the Milky Way at Mount Wilson. Uh, they made a lot of great discoveries, and it used to be one of the greatest places on Earth to observe the skies. There's an observatory on Mount Wilson, which is right on the outskirts of LA. It used to be one of the best places to observe the night skies. And then, with the growing population, uh, so did light pollution grow. And it made it so 
that observatory is actually a lot less usable. And so since, you know, I mean, really 82, like officially, but for much longer than that, it hasn't really been used in an observatory. And it is just sort of being kept up by four full-time staffed employees, which are mostly uh, groundskeepers, but also 60 volunteers who are usually older retirees who are helping to keep the place in good running order. And the future of the Mount Wilson Observatory, which now is just somewhat of a museum, but the future of the Mount Wilson Observatory is uh, in, you know, an interesting place because it can sort of continue to be a monument to scientific exploration, you know, sort of being half kept up. As long as there are enough volunteers to do that, it, it seems like those volunteers are dwindling and there will probably never be enough money to really get it, you know, tip-top shape. And also, the thing is, it's never, just never, ever going to be used again as a legitimate scientific uh, research space, just because the light pollution is too much. Um, I mean, even Hubble, as you know, because I know you've been reading the news, Hubble, years ago, you know, moved uh, the observatory, not moved, but built a new one in Chile, Um where there's a lot less light pollution. So, yeah, I mean, Mount Wilson and the very telescopes that brought us its discoveries are hanging in the balance. And I think that tension is being felt all over the world. I mean, that, it's, you know, it's in the paper. Everybody's reading about it. And I, you know, I go on Instagram and... You know, there's a lot of people who you would assume would maybe say, you know, hey, I understand why we can't give it money, but it would be good to keep up. But there's a lot of people who are just hardcore Wilsonist, and they want it to stay there, and they want it to get bigger. And, you know, these are these are some of my friends. These are kids born in the Valley, um, and so their allegiance to Wilson is interesting to me. And I understand that there's quite a history there. It's not as simple as, well, you were born here and, you know, Wilson is there, you know, 15 miles away. But the allegiance and more so the sort of just outright objectiveness of their own narrative is interesting to me. And, you know, then there's a lot of people on the other side who say that there should be, you know, a thousand volunteers and they're then you know but and you know and they don't have enough resources i understand that side of course and you know it's a very interesting topic and it's uh it's interesting that it's getting national attention i think joe biden's statement on it is uh you know very telling of how the major western powers feel about the situation and what people who are trying to change Mount Wilson are, are up against. Um, and I think there could be some empathy for that, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough topic. And I understand that it, that it brings up a lot of different emotions in people and makes people feel a myriad of different ways, you know, because at the end of the day, science is what drives us. And the search for intergalactic discovery 
is something that's always going to cause tension, you know? And, you know, scientists have a long history, you know, and they've been driven out of many places, and they have still preserved this history and this tradition. Um, so I, under I understand a lot of people's reactions. And, you know, I am not a scientist, uh, nor am I somebody who wants to tear down Mount Wilson, so I don't really know if I have much of a place to speak on any of it. Um, I, you know, obviously I have my own opinions. They really don't fall too far to either side, um, but I don't express them outwardly. But there are a lot of people who are online saying, you know, if you are being silent about what's happening with Mount Wilson Observatory, you are part of the problem. And I don't know if that's fully true. I don't think every issue needs everybody's voice as much as I think issues like the Mount Wilson issue are things that are good for everybody to at least mildly educate themselves on simply because it's in the world and even if it doesn't affect them directly it is you know our country is giving a staggering 800,000 to 1 million dollars a year to keep Mount Wilson running and to pay the staff um and so even if you don't think it affects you you know, it's still coming out of your taxes if you are living in Los Angeles County. So that's something to think about, you know. But, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of different thoughts coming from a lot of different types of people. I'm definitely uh, interested in the amount of people um, who are very hardcore Wilsonists, um, who are who are white American, sometimes not even Jewish, um, we're very college educated, but just don't have much a frame of reference for anything in life, let alone something as uh, complex as the Mount Wilson issue. But yet they, they pick a very strong side um, and, and sometimes seem, you know, full of vitriol. And I'm not always sure where that comes from. And then I notice the way they talk about other things, sometimes less important than the Wilson issue. And that same vitriol comes out. So sometimes I wonder if it is it a Wilson thing or is it a them thing, and I don't know. But, you know, I mean, people are going to think what they want to think, and I think the important part is, is that uh, as individuals, we all remember what is important, which is science. So I hope that in this time of a lot of different feelings and emotions, that everybody is... Um, talking to those they love, and reading Richard Feynman's lectures at uh, Caltech uh, or wherever he did that, um, or reading some Stephen Hawking's, whatever you would like, um, but, but, you know, getting together and reading about uh, gravity. Um, because, you know, what goes up must come down. Um, and that's Isaac Newton said that. So, you know, think about that. Think about what if Isaac Newton 
was also a freestyle rapper. If we can't ask questions like that, then democracy dies. What if Isaac Newton was wearing a hat with a trampoline on top of it, and when the apple hit his head, it bounced up into space and hit the moon? That's a legitimate question that in today's world, you can't ask, that you get in trouble for asking. And uh, that's scary, you know? It's very scary. How many Jimmy Dean sausages could Isaac Newton eat? <laughs> I mean, you ask that in some circles, and you get run out of town. So, you know, I mean, that's the world we're living in, and people, people you know react in a in a myriad of different ways and if you're just remember mostly that if you're a really stupid person and you're talking about a complex issue such as the mount wilson issue um if you say the word myriad and it's usually used in the phrase myriad of different ways people will think that you're smart unless they are actually smart and use that language often, in which case they will look at you with a very recognizable who's this fucking asshole look, and before they speak, just walk away. Just get out of there, because you're in over your head. Okay? And I can tell that my tripod is wobbly, and I think because of the fan and maybe the movement of my feet, the phone is actually shaking. So this whole video is going to shake uh, which frankly I think is funny. I'll fix it. All right, that should be better. Um, I did start reading the newspaper, actually. Uh, I'm not actually going to talk about the news, because why would you? Nobody's coming to this podcast to hear about what's happening in the news. I did start reading the newspaper, though. I am a big fan of the newspaper. A lot of people, they read the news on their phone, and it's very bad. It's a lot less fun on the phone. You forget that there are tons of articles that come out every day. And the newspaper is something that I understand why people say they devour the paper. I get it. I get what they're what they mean by that. Is you just there's all these different articles. So many of them are trivial and kind of about nothing. And you just rifle through it. You read what you want to read, and you throw away the scraps like a lion on the hunt for knowledge. Uh, and uh, it's fun to have a newspaper in your hand. When you buy it, I have a newsstand near me. I went there. I bought two different newspapers. I bought USA Today, and I bought the LA Times, which I think are kind of two newspapers for dumb people. Um, but I like USA Today because if you haven't read USA Today, 
it's a very seemingly not so biased newspaper. I think they lean more left, but I think they lean more left in the way of certain topics they'll cover, not necessarily in their opinion of any certain topic. Because what I like about USA Today is it is like reading a fifth grader's report on something. It's very simple. It's just sort of what happened. The language is never too big. It's never too lofty or scary. The font is very informal. It's like Helvetica, like it's not the Times New Roman font. It's a newspaper for dumb people that honestly talks about all the same things as any other newspaper. But it seems like the people writing it don't know that they are really allowed to have opinions, which I love. Because anybody reporting on anything should remember that nobody actually gives a fuck about them or their life or anything they've been through or any of their own thoughts and that they are just the messenger. And what's the messenger? A servant. A servant. That's it. Zip it. Tell me what you need. Zip it. Tell me what I need to know. Zip it up. Run back. Run back. Get away from me. Get away from me, you stupid messenger. What did the king say? Don't tell me. Here's what, what the king said means for the future. Shut up. The USA doesn't do any of that. The USA does none of that. USA Today has articles where they will talk about some major Supreme Court decision or whatever, like anybody else would. And then they'll maybe have one line where they go, and the Secretary of State said, this could put the future of blah, blah, blah in jeopardy. They'll say that. That's as far as they'll go. And then meanwhile, the New York Times is like, here are the five inevitable implications of Dua Lipa's new album. And it's like, I don't, you know. It's hard to trust the New York, because I never really read, ever, I never read the news at all. But I would kind of figure out how certain news organizations acted just based off of Twitter. I learned uh, the, the New York Post, uh, I think, unless it's Wall Street Journal, but I think New York Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. So I was like, all right, I'll probably skip that one. Uh, the New York Times is always fishy. Uh like in the Israel-Palestine thing recently, they the way they describe things is fishy because they'll be like, a thousand Israelis were killed and uh, 250 Palestinians died. And it's like, they were everybody was killed. I don't know why half of them you were acting like had a heart attack. They all, they were all killed. Um, and that kind of, you know, that that's a little, I don't know about that, you know. I mean, I know it's October, but that's a little too spooky for me in the bias in the grammar. That's honestly, I think, how you tell if, if a newspaper is truly lying is just in the way they describe things. And USA Today, to me, has the innocence and honesty of a three-year-old telling you that your hair is ugly. You know, it's like, it'll just... the USA, USA Today feels like a newspaper 
that almost accidentally spills the beans. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it would print stuff it's not even legally allowed to and then be like, I didn't know we couldn't. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't realize I was exposing the federal government. I just heard it and I said it. God. I'm not an asshole. You know, that kind of thing. So, I was reading a lot of that. And news, yeah, newspapers are interesting because uh, it's all it's all printed on the same paper. It's all there. It's all right next to each other. So, you go from, like, reading about uh, Americans trapped in Gaza right now and how, you know, their families can't hear from them. And then I turned the page, and then I saw a story about a hundred and four-year-old woman who set the world record for the oldest person to ever go skydiving. And that's, you know, that's once again, just just one page, flip it over, different vibe, you know? And I think that's a better way to consume news. Because when you consume it online, it's just the one article. And you go, yeah, I read this one article, and then you finish the article, and you go, oh, God, good grief, you know, this is, that's crazy. And then you're just sad the rest of the day, you know. Or you're in the newspaper, and you go, whoa, we bombed 50 weddings in Iraq, that's terrible. And then, obviously, they never report on that, but you get it. You know, you go, all these people died, and then you turn the page, and you go, oh, it's National Clown Day. It's the national day to dress like a clown. Did you know that, honey? Millions of Iraqi civilians are dead. But it's national dress like a clown day. So make your choice on how you want to feel. I think that's fun. You know, a lot of people say the news is depressing. I think it's also good to remember if you are able to sit and read a newspaper, most of the news probably doesn't affect you very much. You know what I mean? Like, if, if your life is good enough that you can sit down, you can read a newspaper, most of the stuff you're reading in the news is probably not going to come knocking on your door all that soon. Your life is probably fine. You know what I mean? It's easy. It, there's enough. There's leisure time is what I'm saying. There's, a, there's an hour in your life where you can do whatever you want, and you choose to spend it reading the news, which is productive, but once again, you know what I mean? You got time, you're chill. And so that's what I think when I read the news. I read uh, a lot of sad things, and I'm not just talking about the Israel-Palestine, I'm just in general. Just if you read the news, a lot of sad things. And you read it, and you just go, hmm, you know, that's, uh, that's something that happened. And tomorrow, I'll read the news again, and I'll see what's up with that, you know? We'll see how it progresses. But yeah, having the paper out is fun. It's fun that uh, the organization of the paper is makes sense, but is also so stupid. You know, it's like, let's put four different stories on the front page. And we'll only write, like, a couple words about it. And then if you want to read the rest, you got to go find a different page that is not necessarily ordered at all it's just it's labeled so you find it but it's just kind of in there um and once you get back there there's no more pictures it's uh it's it's a lot less pictures back there it's just words once you're deep in the paper 
But I enjoy it. I like it. Uh, I'm going to try and make a certain routine about it that, you know, at least once a week, grab a couple papers, see what's going on. Because they come out. I mean, it's crazy how they make so many newspapers. All the time. Every day they're writing newspapers. All the time. Every day. They have a newspaper for every day. Here's every day. But yeah, I'm trying to change my perspective on the news. I think it's, uh, if you think of it as kind of an optional thing and kind of something that you can uh, enjoy, obviously you're not going to enjoy reading a lot of the articles, but I'm saying the act of catching up, um, it makes it more fun, you know? Because a lot of people will act like you have to know about all this. You have to read the news. You must be informed. That is not true. That is patently untrue. No, you don't. You don't need to know about anything happening in the news ever. Because even if you don't know about climate change and then it's going to affect you eventually, just wait till it affects you eventually and you're not going to have been any better if you knew about it 30 years before. You just wouldn't. You don't have to be informed about a single thing going on outside of you getting to your job. What You know, just you can you don't have to know anything. But... If you take that aspect, you take that mindset, and then you go, well, let me just hear about some stuff that happened. And then that's the news. And it's much more fun that way. Is you read it and you go, oh, thanks for letting me know about all this stuff that has happened. I enjoy reading about all this stuff that has transpired recently. Some of it is utterly useless information. I really didn't need to read that entire article about Mount Wilson. There was nothing in there that was important to me or really anybody in the world. But that's what's really beautiful about the news is a good writer doesn't let you realize how unimportant the article is until like the last two words. Because that article about Mount Wilson, to clarify, if you didn't get the gist, because we got into a real rigmarole with it, but the point of the article is just saying, this place used to be really good for looking at the stars, now LA's too bright, so it's not, but all the shit's still there. Fart. Uh, so at the moment, it's just being kept up by people, so you can go hike up to the top of the mountain and look at it, sort of as a monument. But it'll never be used again. It will never contribute anything to science really ever again. Except a couple guys used some solar telescopes up there and it was cool, but it's really, there's not a, it's not a needed place. Like if this place goes under, science doesn't really suffer. So it's fine. It would be sad because you're losing these buildings that we hold on to, but really it's got no use and it never will again. So the point is, the entire article is, is about nothing. This place used to be used. Now it doesn't. They don't know what they're going to do with it. And it doesn't really matter what they do with it. I read the whole thing. And a good, and a good writer doesn't let you know that what you're reading is horseshit until the last couple sentences when they say something like, and the future of Mount Wilson still remains up in the air. And you go, oh, so this isn't even, there's not even an end to this story. You are updating me on an ongoing issue that is debatably not important in any way. 
is what you're telling me. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to check the time, and then the whole fucking video turned off. I have a lot of editing to do on this podcast, and that makes me want to blow my brains out. But I also got to go to work soon, so I don't know how long the podcast is going to be. Probably going to, you know, go another 15, then maybe come back from work and see if we want to podcast for 15 more minutes and make it a full hour, but chances are we won't want to. Um, But anyway, uh, what I have been up to is I was in Appleton, Wisconsin with Polly Shore and Steve Simone, two very funny, experienced comedians. Uh, Many of you know Polly Shore from TV and movies. Some of you comedy fans may know Steve Simone from Ari Shafir's This Is Not Happening. Um, I watched Steve Simone on television before I ever started comedy, uh, actually. So, funny enough, I, you know, I saw Encino Man, and I didn't watch a lot of Polly Shore, and I definitely never saw his stand-up because I just, I don't know if he's actually released a special. I was, I was pretty unaware of his stand-up. A lot of people are, um, which is interesting, but I did watch Steve Simone, uh, so touring with him was, it was, uh, pretty funny. But anyway, um, yeah, a lot of people don't know that Polly Shore is the son of Mitzi Shore, who is the woman who uh, owned and, and operated the Comedy Store, one of the most famous clubs in the world. So Polly was pretty much raised in the Comedy Store, and he's been doing stand-up for uh, a large portion of his life since a very young age. Um, and not a lot of people know that. They think he's just a movie guy, uh, but no, he's he's been touring as a stand-up comedian for 30 years, and as he's been doing it for even longer. Um, really interesting guy to tour with. You learn a lot. The stories that that guy has uh, are just immense. Uh, probably real all-star babysitter list, you know what I mean? You know, he's got like Sam Kinison, Richard Pryor. He's got a good list of guys that babysat him. Um, but it was fun. It was my first time in the Midwest. Um I'm getting to tour. I've been getting to tour a little more recently. Uh, you know, I went to Jacksonville. Uh, I went to Yuma and Tucson in Arizona, and then most recently I went to Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, that was my first time in the Midwest in a small, uh, you know, hey, how you doing kind of town. Uh, but it was cool, you know. Uh, it was and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really like an old school town. I mean, it was. Uh, it's a college town. It has Lawrence College, uh, established in, I believe, 1867. Uh, fact check me on that. Um, but it's a small college town, a lot of gay flags everywhere. You know, it's like they're, the, it's kind of one of those small towns that's like, we're fucking cool. What's up, you know? Um, but still a fun, still an interesting place with a different variety of people. Like, we were, we were driving down the street. I saw a house that had two Trump flags and a Blue Lives Matter flag. And then we drove farther down, and I saw a house with the, uh, with the gay flag outside. The, new, the full one, too, with, with, the, with the triangles and, and the circle for the asexual and the, whole, the new one, the updated, the iPhone Pro Max of the gay flags. They got the whole shebang which is like five flags in one. Um, and what was funny is that in between both of those houses was just a house with small, tiny American flags around their garden. 
which is the real neutral option. Um, that's the house that's like, yeah, we, you know, we voted for Donald, but we don't, uh, you know, talk about it too much. You know, like that's kind of, and maybe I'd like to hang out with those people the most. Probably not, though. I'd probably go to the gay house. At least they have uh, opinions they're willing to express. You know what I mean? Then again, the Trump house could be fun, too. They might be, you know, having a lot of fun over there. I don't know. I don't know if they're the happy ones or the angry ones. Trump fans come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, but the shows were fun. Uh, first three days, you know, tough. Getting the sea legs. I was opening up cold and... You know, it's tough to go on stage to a crowd that came there to see Polly Shore and only Polly Shore, and now they're watching a 24-year-old talk about his experience uh, having sex with men on a dating app called Grinder. It's not what they came for. So that was rough. Uh, but uh, then Polly was like, all right, we're going to have Steve open the shows, which made me realize I had failed my job. Uh, and I wasn't bombing. It just wasn't good enough. And then Steve would open the shows, who's he's a he's is a great comic, been doing it for a long time, knows what he's doing. Uh, and then I would go up after him and just have murderous sets, just some of the best sets of my life. 185 people just screaming at me with laughs, uh, and none of it felt good because I was like, you know, you guys, you wouldn't have liked this if I was the first guy. So that makes me feel like. Uh, like, this is almost just Steve's second set, in a way. Uh, I didn't say that on stage. I took those laughs, and I put them in my pocket, and I remembered them. But yeah, it was fun. It was a good, it was at Skyline Comedy Club. Uh, it's a great comedy club. If you're anywhere near there, you should go. It seats about 185 people. Um, we stayed in an Airbnb, so me, Polly Shore, and Steve Simone were uh, one big happy family. In the Airbnb. I also, I watch NFL Red Zone for the first time ever. Of course, I go to Buffalo Wild Wings with my friends. Anybody that watches the show knows this. Of course, I've watched a football game at somebody's house. Anybody that knows me knows that. But I had never watched uh, Red Zone, which is, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me a lot of those Instagram videos where it's like uh, like a Theo Von podcast clip, but then under it, it's like a Temple Run or Subway Surfer thing. You know what I mean? It's like the double. It's like it's like Guy's version of that. Um, it is. It's it's too much. If you don't know what NFL Red Zone is, it is showing all of the football games that are happening that day, but they just show every game where one team is in a scoring position or in the red zone close enough to the other guy's end zone. So sometimes you're watching one game for kind of a while, you know, like 10 minutes because the other teams are just sort of not doing much. Or sometimes, and they announce it every time, they got three on the screen and they go, we got three games on the... And it's a big deal because now you don't know where to look. You're like, what's going to happen? And then, you know, what's interesting is if... Uh, sometimes you watch two games be the same exact game but just with different quality teams. So I was watching the the Rams versus the Eagles. Um, great game. Two great teams to play each other. Very fun. Um, and then also on the other screen was like the fucking uh, the Broncos versus the Jets. Um, Russell Wilson, what a bitch. Um, but it was very funny because like 
the Broncos were on the goal line, and so were the Philadelphia Eagles, and they both wanted the same thing. And then you just see the Broncos just completely fuck all of it up. And then the fucking uh, Philadelphia Eagles did the brotherly shove, as everybody knows, and just pushed their way in and got the score. And, it, yeah, it's very funny just to see two teams try the same thing. And when the team that's good at it does it well, it just seems so simple. And then the team that doesn't, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's right there. Losing at the goal line, not losing, but not getting, not scoring at the goal line is always it's very funny to me because... Uh, it's hard. It's, I mean, it's, football's hard. I get it. But it's so funny that it's like you are four inches away. Just get the ball. There! And there's teams that are like, we can't do it. We tried. We were gonna go and just push through, but uh, then they uh, they pushed back against us. And uh, for all being honest here, that kind of took the wind out of everybody's sails. Uh, and uh, we gave up pretty quickly. Didn't get the score there. Sorry, guys. You know, like, it's crazy. It's like, you guys, you were four inches away. You came from 40 yards away. Just, what the fuck? That's why I like the Philadelphia Eagles, because they got that play, the, the brotherly shove, which... Uh, if you don't know, it's just if they need to pick up some inches for either a first down or like a goal line touchdown. It's just they all huddle together and they just push. And Jalen Hurts holds the ball and he just he just follows the lineman and then they get in wherever they want to go. And it seems so simple, but I think it's a testament to them working as such a good unit and also... Uh, Jason Kelsey being strong as fuck as a center. Uh, and it's just, it's cool just to see big old guys doing what big old guys should do, which is push over other big old guys, and they're good at it. And then you watch the Broncos, and, uh, you know, I haven't watched enough football necessarily consistently enough in my life to have this, but I now uh, love to hate the Broncos but I don't hate them actually I actually love them because of how much they suck and how fun watching them lose is I've never had that with the team I mean I know a lot of people who watch a lot of football are like yeah of course that's that's I do that all the time but I'm just saying it's it's not like a like a thing where like oh everybody hates the Patriots so it's so fun to see them lose I get that there's something about the Broncos is there's not even a history or a context or a reason why I dislike them other than the fact that they suck. And every week I'll just I'll watch them or I'll see a couple bits of the game and I just go, look at them. Look at them suck again. Look at them be shitty one more time and disgrace the good people of Colorado. I mean, it's... It's a very interesting time, actually, for Colorado football, because, you know, you got you got you got prime time putting together, you know, quite a college team. So that's fun. And then meanwhile, you just have this floundering team who is just part of an almost record setting loss to the Dolphins with the with this with the 72 point game. Like it's 
it's a real dichotomy for the football fans in Colorado to have to to put up with that. Um, but you know, I mean, that's the world we live in. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm gonna do some editing. I hope it's not too annoying and choppy. At the moment, I do have to go to work. I have to get dressed, and I have to go to work, so uh, we might just have to end the pod at uh, at a very sad 40 minutes. Um, but maybe I'll record another segment tonight, and in three seconds I will uh, pop back in your ears or in front of your eyes, and the podcast will continue. I don't even know if that's going to happen yet. And that's what's fun about this podcast is uh, we leave everything up to chance. Um, so if I don't see you again, thank you so much, and I love you. You motherfuckers really thought you had seen the last of me. You really thought that the episode was just over, that I was just going to go to work, and I was just going to forget about the show. You got to be fucking kidding me. Things have changed, okay? I left at 5.51, and now it is 12.30. We've had a long night of working, but it was fun. Uh, I got to do two sets at the world-famous comedy store tonight. I got to open the second main room show, which is always a fun set to do because cold opens are fun because nobody's been on stage yet so nobody can really ruin the vibe only you can which is why cowards are afraid of it but i I find it very fun nothing's happened i go up i have fun for five minutes i get off and then very good people come up and they do better but that was fun completely packed out room like 350 people was very fun very good time and then the show that i did after that was our door guy show, which nobody buys tickets to and nobody comes to because it's a show of a bunch of people that you have never heard of. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably close personal friends with those people, but everybody else has no idea who's on the show. And I went up and I did uh, 15 minutes of comedy to eight people. So I did more minutes of comedy than were people in the room. By a wide margin. Almost double the amount of people in the room. Almost. But it was fun. Those are some of my favorite sets to do because some people are like, oh, I really don't want to perform to these eight people. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I love to perform to eight people. But uh, performing to eight people at, uh, I want to say like 1130, when they're very tired and they've already seen a bunch of other people they don't know, it's kind of like going to Denny's where you're like, well, no, it's not going to be good, but it's going to be Denny's. So as long as we are just fine with this being Denny's and them doing what they do, then this will be fine. And that's what it was. I went up and it was eight people and I spent about 10 out of the 15 minute set just riffing, talking about the show, you know, how you, you get what you pay for. Downstairs, I opened the show that had Bobby Lee on it. Upstairs, I was one of the featured acts. My name is Cooper Lydon. So it's different. You know what I mean? You get what you pay for. But those are some of my most favorite sets to do because it's just like nothing can go wrong because it's already not that great of a situation to begin with. And I honestly think that the people at that show, that could be the most memorable comedy show they ever see because... Even an amazing comedy show is less interesting because everything went correct. You know what I mean? Now their friends will be like, oh, I went and I saw Dave Chappelle or Elijah Schlesinger in a huge arena and they crushed the whole time and it was awesome and everybody loved it. And they get to go, you know what? I got to see 
Cooper Lydon, among others, performed to me and seven other people in a small room on a Friday night for virtually no reason. I mean, a, a show that small, it gets to the point where it's nobody's sure why they're there and nobody's sure who the show is for. Because when there's that small an amount of people, it starts to seem like the show is more for the comedians than it is for the audience. You know what I mean? Because if it was famous people, you'd look around and you'd be like, what happened? Why is nobody here? But then when it's a bunch of nobodies, you look around and you go, I know what happened, and I know why nobody's here, and I'm starting to feel like it's actually very nice of me to be here. And that's one of the most fun comedy situations you can be in, because if, you know, you're sitting in a pile of garbage, it's like, why even look for gold? And I had a lot of fun with them, and I'll tell you what, I made them laugh. And I know that everybody listening to this podcast is just waiting for the day that I walk into a Hertz rent-a-car with a vest made a C4 and blow myself up. But I'll tell you what, those eight people tonight bought me three more days of living normal life before I walk into that Hertz. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to come back, say hello, and let everybody know that uh, the podcast is back on the regular schedule. Uh, if you listen and care and are listening to the end of the episode, wow, I should give you $100 uh, but I just want to let you know, the the diehard fan, I know there's not more than one of you listening at this point, um, and if you are, see if you can contact other people who listen. You should form a support group for each other. But anyway, we're going to be back on regularly scheduled programming because uh, I've been uh, out of town a little bit, which is very fun for me, um, but uh, bad for the podcast and my already unproductive workflow. Um, so if you care, I do apologize. But anyway, uh, thanks for showing up. Thanks for showing out. Thanks for finishing the episode. What a feeling it is. It must feel the same as when I finished a half marathon and cried. Um, I was 13. Anyway, thank you all so much for uh, coming hard. And I'll uh, see you next week. I love you so much. Thank you.